Podcast World, Cabin Studios, we are back for season four. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and today we are talking about finding your purpose. And this is not that whole woo-woo, believe, achieve, and dream. This is some practical tips from somebody who has not only lives it, but teaches it. Today we are talking to a lawyer, professional development consultant, and travel vlogger, Miss Shellyan Kajada. Shelly, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. Thank You're you. Amazing. Yes, amazing as always. Well, as always. <laughs> wow, wow. So you, you came down here from the UK. You live in the UK now. Yes. Originally from Trinidad. Yes. And but this is probably like what your fifth, sixth media media thing. Since I've been home for yeah. this holiday, uh, probably my fifth. Yes. So this is what work. Are you on vacation? Or are you on work or what? I'm on purpose. You on? <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. So Shelly, what I want to start this off with, right? So I want to look back at say the 10, 11 year old Shelly, getting ready to write that SE exam or well, common entrance in our days, getting ready to decide, okay, what secondary school they want to go to and everything. Where did you want your life to go at that time? I wanted to be an attorney. I knew hands down that I wanted to be an attorney. I watched too many Law & Order episodes to not be inspired or motivated to be one. And I just had this vision that I was going to be a successful attorney. Successful in the courtroom, successful outside of the courtroom. And um, it was just about doing well in school. I enjoyed going to school, actually as an only child and not having brothers or sisters. School was my outlet, my playground. And achieving academic merit felt, it was like a reward for me in some sense. Gave me a a push, a driver. Yeah. Okay. So your enjoyment of school, was this um, the activities, the friendships, or was it really just about, hey, what? I'm going to come here, I'm going to come first and test. I'm going (laughs) to beat everybody. No, it was about... The engagement with other students, being able to just run around with people and play tag and come come back in class sweaty. I didn't have that when I was home because I didn't have, you know, a brother or sister to do that with. So for me, the engagement and the students is what made school exciting. And then, of course, the competitive side of it when tests came around, who got their red star, their blue star. So... I felt that it was a place for all-round development and mistakes. So so interesting that you, you, from a very young age, decided Mm -hmm. where you wanted to go and you were able to end up in that career. So how did you prepare for this, like all through your secondary school life? Like you would have picked your subjects and all these things? Yeah, so I was very focused on wanting to become a lawyer and doing well to get there. Right. I come from a very simple and humble family background. It's just my mom and my dad and myself, very small family and humble beginnings. So I knew that in order for me to enjoy the successes that my mom told me I deserved from since I was a kid, I had to work for it and work for it in school and, you know, make my mom proud. And I started realizing that the more that I focused on school, and just excelling is the more that opportunity open for me. So going to do my A-levels at St. Francois, which was a school that I wanted to get into, getting a scholarship then to do law school, 
because at that time they had gate. So I was fortunate. And my, my, again, because I came from humble beginnings, my family didn't have that type of money to send me to school. So I knew I had to work for it and it was not going to come easily. And I knew that from a very young age. Yeah. Okay. So you get to law school. Yes. You get that law degree. Yes. And you, spend, <laughs> you And you always want to be a criminal lawyer? Yes. Criminal lawyer. And why? Because I've been raised, born and raised in Carinage. <laughs> Carinage. So for me, being resident of Carinage right. came with a lot of benefits because there was always kids to play with. Uh, we have a recreational field right down the road from us. So we had the opportunity to, I had the opportunity to engage with children from all walks of life. But at the same time, the reality of living in Carinage is that almost every night you're hearing a gunshot. Yeah. Okay, so you were living in, in a kind of depressed area in Carnage? Well, or? not depressed. So I was in the residential side and the street next to me was depressed. So it's very easy for them to come over to our side and the recreational play field. You saw not the residential kids going there, but the children from the depressed areas going there. And I, my mom was very much friends with those people and encouraged me to engage with them and stuff. But part of the narrative of growing up was hearing God shots, seeing people losing their lives. And I just felt that I wanted to do something about that. So criminal prosecution was that choice for me. So is it that you want to lock up some of your missed wrongdoing neighbors? And not my neighbors, because hopefully my neighbors won't engage in that. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to just bring a level of order to the disorder that I saw when I was growing up. Okay. So you're practicing, you're practicing law as a state attorney. Yeah. You're prosecuting some of the nation's most dangerous criminals. Yes. What was that? One hell of a ride. (laughs) (laughs) It was one hell of a ride and it was the best professional time of my life as well as the worst. But I felt so in control when I first got into the profession. I felt that there was so much promise for me, so much opportunity. And the foundation was laid for me to make my name known in the legal fraternity. And I had every intention of doing that. I used to sit down in the public gallery and look at the best of the best, you know, the senior counsels when they address the court and the jury. And I was just so inspired by them. And a big part of me having this desire to do my best was looking at them and seeing how convincing, persuasive and unafraid they were. And I, that's, that's all that I hoped for myself when I got into the profession. So it wasn't just about, yes, I'm an attorney. It was about making a difference. And when someone says, the prosecutor, Shelly and Gadgeter, they know what to expect. You know, when I walked into the courtroom, they should know that you're going to be up for a tough challenge from her. What? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, but how was that courtroom experience though? So when you have all this whole, you have the judge, you have the jury there, mm-hmm. you have this, this accused yeah. looking you in the eye and you're prosecuting, right? So you yes. literally there trying to get people put in jail. Yes. Right? And <laughs> yes. How is it from legally. They, they mm-hmm. and legally, they and their family looking at you, mm-hmm. young lady trying to put that, put their family member in jail for a crime he alleged, allegedly. Yeah. He or she allegedly committed. That was a tough aspect of the job. And that is something that law school, no amount of mentorship, no amount of internships could teach you. 
the level of assertiveness and fearlessness that you need to have when you walk into the courtroom because everyone is looking at you. And you may think that people are not looking, but they absolutely are every single step that you make because they look at criminal prosecutors as ministers of justice. So you must basically be a stellar example of what justice should look like in a society. So it not only must be done, but it must be seen to be done. So just the way that you present yourself in court and that pressure I felt was one of the things I struggled with because I'm young. At that time, I was 24. Uh, I consider myself to be good looking. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> so young, good looking and very smart and unafraid. And very humble. Very humble as well. Yes. And I worked particularly with uh, law enforcement officials. But when you go to courts and you prosecute a murder, a murder is usually, these days, it's not just one person that's con that is brought before the court for murder. Sometimes you have five and six people based on the aiding and abetting or the conspiracy to murder type situations. So sometimes when I walk into court, I would not even make eye contact with the family members. I've had people heckle me walking out of court. I've had people say things to me while I'm walking out of court. I felt followed a couple of times. And it just became a very volatile place to be and that's what I don't know if law school is teaching this now but you know people I mean we had state witnesses actually get killed outside the courtroom as soon as they finish give their testimony and they walk outside that's it and we have to face that as prosecutors so it came a time where I was not handling that aspect of the profession well and um, that is what really was a struggle for me. Okay. Okay. So in this career, you would have had mentors, right? Yes. So what I understand in May 2014, one of our senior counsels in the country, one of the senior people in the legal fraternity in the country was gunned down in her vehicle just shortly after midnight, maybe two minutes away from her home in yes. Port of Spain. Right. So how did that affect you as a young attorney coming up, aggressive prosecutor, a young criminal attorney? How did that affect you? Were you prepared for that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because when you work for the criminal justice system, you hope that the system will work for you. And the system will protect you and that you can go home and sleep well at night because you've left your job at your job. But the way that things work in our criminal justice system, it is very warped in the sense that your job follows you home. And sometimes in a literal sense, which was seen in her circumstance. When that happened, I was extremely shocked and it was a it was catastrophic for me as a professional, but also personally, what many people didn't know was that I looked up to Dana. She was everything to me as a criminal prosecutor. I really thought that she embodied the fearlessness and the fairness that a criminal prosecutor should possess. And to see her dedicate her life to the profession she was also the president of the criminal bar. 
and to see her her life being taken away in such a brutal way really shook me uh, I, I also worked with her in a professional capacity on two high profile matters which lasted like six to eight months and during that time working with her she taught me a lot about the garnering of evidence presenting you know the ethics of the profession so that in itself took all of what I was standing on away from me and I felt that it was no longer a profession that I wanted to be a part of and a big big reason for that was the response of G judicial system when it happened they didn't know how to deal with it no one knew what to say our department didn't know what to say to us no counseling was offered in that space of time and it was a time where the leaders didn't know how to lead so how would you prefer that they would have handled it an emergency meeting for a start <laughs> would they have, didn't been have nice. an emergency meeting no nothing nothing business as usual yes wow so no emergency meeting and actually the staff had to come together to have an emergency meeting without some of the leaders who should be present there. And then the slow progress of finding persons accountable for the crime. And then, you know, the stories that you hear about not having security, criminal prosecutors not having security. At that time, I was 27 and I looked at how she faced her demise and I felt that this no longer was the profession I wanted to be in. So I made the decision to leave it. Wow. So, I mean, this is tragic on so many counts. Not only is it tragic on, on that lady's life, yeah. but it's tragic in the sense that, okay, so you're switching your career, but this is a dream. This is, a, this is what you thought was your purpose ever since you were a child. So it's like, it's like the death of a family member. It's like, Absolutely. It's like the death of a part of you. Yes. And I felt as though, you know, when that happened, I felt as though the criminal justice system owed me something. You know, people, Trinidad became such an unkind place. I was upset with the world, basically. I couldn't fathom it. Could not understand it. I could not find reasoning in it. And I was just angry and so hurt so empty because it wasn't just one life that was affected it was so many others that were affected and it wasn't just about the death but it was about the signal of what that death meant for our judicial system and it's so much deeper than what really happened on the surface it was like know? a wake-up call for so many people yes so from there you decide, okay, law is not for me. <laughs> so what you said, law is what? Well, law is law will and always is going to be for me. You know, I think once a lawyer, always a lawyer. Prosecution, I decided to leave. Pretty criminal uh, bar is what I decided to remove myself from because I felt that I was working in a system that was no longer working for the country, no longer working for the victims and certainly not working for the law enforcement officials. Okay, so how did you decide on what you're going to do next? Yes. Now I say, now I say, okay, forget this law thing. I am not yeah. out here trying to get, put myself in danger anymore. Mm -hmm. This is not worth it. The system doesn't have my back. So how did you decide, okay, these are the steps I'm going to take to make my next move. What did you do next? Right. So a big part of getting into criminal prosecution was me always wanting to make change within Trinidad and Tobago. 
You know, I love my country. I love my people. And I believe in our growth and our destiny of success. Like, I believe that. We are such a resilient nation. So that was one of the biggest reasons I got into criminal prosecution. So when I decided to leave, I wanted to still do something that would empower me to make that same change. And I realized that as a prosecutor, I was at the bottom of the pole, the pecking order, you know, and it was going to be difficult for me to make change, you know, getting a, having a case won is fine, but the type of change I wanted to make, you know, on the ground, I knew that I had to take a different avenue, a different route. So when I resigned, I said, okay, well, Shelly, you if it's one thing, you are very good at research and you have an interest in business. So here what? Now is the time for you to do something that challenges you. Do something that challenges you. You want to you wanna find yourself and you want to figure out what is your next step. Let's go into unfamiliar waters. And actually, I needed time as well because I was ready to just leave Trinidad for a bit. Trinidad couldn't heal me. It couldn't say sorry to me. So I decided to take my savings and I journeyed to Edinburgh where I did my master's in international business and emerging markets. Scotland. In uh, Scotland? Yes. Okay. okay, okay. I don't know anyone there, but I went. <laughs> nice. Okay. Tell me about what you, um, what you studied there and how did, what was your master's thesis on and everything? Right. So when I went to Scotland, I said education is an amazing vehicle for opening doors. And I felt that it was not going to be a waste. So the best way to career transition would be through education. I didn't have the experience in the corporate world. I didn't have the experience as an entrepreneur. I have all I've had is experience as a criminal prosecutor. So how do I redefine myself? Well, the best, one of the best ways, education. So went to Edinburgh and I was, I used that time to just become a sponge. I knew that I was in a room full of persons that had a straight career trajectory that was unblemished. I mean, our classroom had 50 nationalities, different nationalities. I was the only Caribbean person in the room. And it was my opportunity to learn and to learn from them and to heal in the process because I realized that I needed a new narrative from what was given to me in the 27 years of being a Trinidadian. So I engaged in so many different activities. I partnered with some of my friends and colleagues. I created a business while I was there, a sustainable startup called One Memoir with a German business partner of mine. And I traveled by myself because it was a journey of finding myself. You ended up? Buying out that German business partner? Yes, I did. What happened? I was ready for it to be Shelly's brand. <laughs> so you just said, yeah. bye-bye, Elson Cider. <laughs> I was ready for it. No, well, it's, it, the thing is, is we were, you know, and that's, that is entrepreneurship in itself, you know, especially when you get involved with business partners. No two flowers bloom at the same time. And my flower was blooming in one particular direction and his, his own was blooming in another place. And it's about finding that mature stance where you can say, I think it's time for us to go our separate ways. And we did, and it was not acrimonious. We did so very happily and, you know, with the best of luck to each other. He is now teaching 
and I am now entrepreneur your ring. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also teaching. Yes, I am. Yeah. You did a lot of travel and I found this travel really interesting. I mean, I was looking at your travel vlogs. I looked at the video you're doing in Santorini, Greece. And I swear, Shelly, I paused the video. I opened a new tab. I went to Expedia and I said, how much you go to, Ex to Santorini, Greece right now? But I want to go to Santorini, Greece. Yes. Santorini, Greece looks beautiful. It is very beautiful. I decided to travel because I realized that at the time... What happened to me, home felt so big. It felt so big to me. And it left such a gaping, rotting hole inside yeah. of me. And, you know, I can speak about this now because this is four years later. It took me four years to heal myself. And for anybody that's listening, please be patient with yourself if you're going through this because it takes time. Will you say you're healed now? Yes. Not fully. How do you know that you're healed? Because I can talk about it. I can talk about it bravely. I, I don't know you that well, but there is a level of confidence and peace when I speak about it. You know, before I would break down and I'd cry and I'm just not ready, but I've found peace with it and we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the travel, yes. <laughs> in terms of the travel, what travel helped with is that, you know, as I said, I felt like what happened to me was so big. But when I went to these places, I realized how small I was, how big the world is and how small my problems were. And that there were so many other people going through something and still enjoying the gift of life. So would you say this travel helped you discover your purpose? Yes, it did. It helped me discover me, myself, which I felt people took from me. I was actually robbed of myself. That's how I felt. Wow. And I felt that the travel helped me find myself. And then in finding myself, I found my purpose. Okay. So we talk about finding our purpose. And yes. You did a video where you had four tips for yes. finding your purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And this is in tandem with what you do at Alpha Student, correct? Yes. So Alpha Student is a professional development consultancy, consultancy. and career consultancy and all that. So we'll get back to Alpha Student. Right? But I want to get into these four tips for finding your purpose. I find them very interesting. So the, the first one was finding, well, sorry, having your own, you're having your alone time. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So, so, so let's walk us through this. Right. I think a big part, a big part of us saying that we don't know what our purpose is lies in the fact that we are distracted by the mind. Now, I believe that the mind is heavily influenced by society and society's opinions, the peer pressure or family pressure and the, the pressure to, to be something, you know, to be something that they say you should be. But in alone time, it is just you, silence and all of your flaws. And you find that people who can't sit with themselves are the persons that suffer from, I don't know what my purpose is. And why? It's because they feed off of other person's energy and other person's opinions and validation. And there is something very deep that they might be battling with, but they're too afraid to confront it in personal time. So that when you sit with yourself, it's almost too much to bear. 
you can't sit with yourself. You don't want to listen. You don't want to hear your thoughts because your thoughts scare you. So you run away. And when I sat with myself, oh my gosh, I broke down so many times. I cried so many times because I had to confront it. I wasn't distracted. I had to confront my pain. And I started realizing, wow, you are a broken girl. <laughs> you are really broken. And in that alone time, I realized that I felt no one else could understand what I was going through. But I understand what I'm feeling. I understand where my confusion is. And guess what? I can heal myself. Okay. So you talk about having a prayer journal and a success journal and yes. adults coloring book. Yes. And all of these things. How yeah. did that help in the healing process? Right. Because, and it comes back to the fact that we need to be distracted, right? When you're alone, you're, there's no one else there. And I felt that I needed an outlet, I needed somewhere to put these thoughts, these words, all the things I wanted to say. I needed somewhere to pour everything that was overflowing out of me in that time. And I didn't want to pick up the phone and call anybody because I had trust issues. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk to God and I was talking to him, but I wanted to feel like I was doing something as well. And I could see it. So I started to write and I started to just write and write all of the things that I was feeling and I got the coloring book because, again, that was a way of calming the mind and just putting the energy, whatever distractive distractions I was feeling or unsettling, I would put that energy into just coloring and calming myself. And I think that the mind is not a safe space. You know, a lot of times we see, you're just sitting there and you're thinking and we're thinking negative thoughts. Sometimes we think positive and there's not an outlet for those negative thoughts to be released. So it's just sitting in there in your mind. And my way of releasing it into, out of my body and into the universe was through writing. Because I felt that the more that I kept it inside of me is the more that it rotted me. So the important thing is to get it out. However you yes. get it out. I mean, However even if you, you don't like to write, let's yes. hear you record. Or no, exactly. Okay, no, that's yes. interesting. That's interesting. So the second tip you talk about feeding your appetite for knowledge. And I especially yes. love this because <laughs> it was like literally a year ago, I just said, you know what? I'm going to immerse myself in podcasts. I don't Good. like reading. I don't like reading books. I have books that are by my bedside. Mm -hmm. You know, because I read for work. Exactly. And I'm tired of reading. <laughs> <laughs> right? I read for work, I read for, for all my exams and stuff. I'm tired of reading. So I like to listen to a bunch of podcasts, but progressive podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you go about feeding your appetite for knowledge? How were you advise people to go about feeding that appetite for knowledge as part of their purpose discovery? Right. And I'm not the type of person to say, well, buy these books and read it. These self-help books, they're going to help you, right? Mm -hmm. Because the content of the self-help books are a bit of a difficult digest for somebody who's not acquainted with the concepts and the philosophies and the way of thinking that the, the self-help books advocate. My suggestion would be to put yourself in unfamiliar spaces, right? Just be open to learning and receiving people. And I'll give you an example. So part of me learning new things was true travel. So I actually went on a trip by myself to Berlin Okay. And I just decided I wanted to see a bit of art and I wanted to see a bit of underground. And I just wanted to do it on my own and go in a country that I didn't speak their language, but I could do it. You know, I could make it. And in that time, I just let myself be. 
in that space and in letting myself be if i if i if somebody came to me and you know they looked at me and smiled i smiled back at them and then they came and they had a conversation with me and i never felt like oh my god this person has an agenda i shouldn't be talking to strangers because we like to tell young kids don't talk to strangers right and sometimes we grew up thinking that well i don't know him or her i shouldn't speak to them but i just started to engage in conversation and i just realized that life is so simple and all of us regardless of background regardless of color of skin regardless of the situation we all want the same things love happiness you know and these are people that don't speak my language grew up in a very different way from me but they want the same things and it was that identity and that commonality that commonality is what made me realize that i just need to learn more from people because i believe that people teach us listen one of the most amazing things about traveling is is the people you meet just mm-hmm. sitting down by one of those sidewalk cafes yes. or whatever it is and you just talk to a stranger. a stranger even when a stranger approaches you in a club or at a bar or whatever it is and you just start talking to them you, yes. just, you just start hearing about but life is just a whole different world than you could have ever fathomed yeah. on your own yeah it really just expands your mind it's like whoa this world has so many more possibilities yes than what I'm doing right now. Yes. Yeah. Another great way as well is if you don't like to read, I am big on podcasts. And this is not a plug, but it's true. I'm, I'm big on podcasts because I just think that, you know, in a morning we tend to play music and stuff. Why not just play something that can water the mind and the spirit? So... I like to listen to sometimes Oprah's podcast or I would listen to a podcast that might be spiritual in nature or just a podcast that is related to being an entrepreneur, you know. I like, ju- like a Carib- like in a Caribbean yeah. entrepreneur. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. You know, I like Caribbean you. power lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you know, just starting to expose myself with unfamiliar terrain because in finding yourself, you of course are shedding. You know, you're shedding the old you in some senses. Yes. So you have to be open to putting yourself in unfamiliar spaces to find the new and improved you. And it's just a nice, smooth transformation. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Kevin, no. you are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. It was not smooth at all. And to this day, it isn't. And I, I share that with my social media following that it is still a work in progress. And every day I choose me, you know, I get up every morning and I decide to choose me. And that is what has made it easy. The day that you decide to choose yourself and to choose your happiness. You talk about in your tips, you talk about seeing the clues. Yes. Being observer, keeping your eyes open Mm -hmm. and seeing the clues. Look at your interactions you have with people and everything. Yeah. We are exposed to opportunity every single day. Every day, right? Right. The only reason why we don't see it is because we're not looking for it, you know? And if we are looking for it, we're looking for it with a a clouded lens because we want it to look like what we think it should look like. And seeing the clues, I talked about seeing the clues and it's, it's related to understanding that everything doesn't happen by mistake. You know, I don't believe in, oh, well, it's just a coincidence. Absolutely not. It's meant to happen and it is written. Why? Because all of us have a unique life path. Unique. Your life path 
is so unique it cannot be mimicked copied transferred to someone else and every single thing that comes into your life is very purposeful the question is how are you converting that experience into a benefit for your life path because a lot of times people hold the bad things and become a victim of it but it's not a victim is it's not to victimize yourself but it is actually a stepping stone so it's looking at life with a different lens and i had to do that because for a long time since the 2014 tragedy i felt like somebody owed me something you know i felt slightly victimized and it was for me to stop seeing myself as that and start seeing myself as a conqueror of my own life and i was ready to take control of what i felt people took from me and starting to give people a chance again. You know, it's funny, Shari. So I did so much research on you. Yes. To prepare for this conversation. Because <laughs> like you said, you don't know each other that well. And I never once in any podcast you did, any interview you did, heard you talk about this incident to this magnitude or at all. Right. I've only recently started to talk about it actually on this trip. Right. Because I was the featured speaker for a boss babe event, you know, an empowerment workshop with some ladies. And uh, shout when, out to Jenna. Yes. Janiel. Jenna Janiel. Jenna Janiel. Yes. She's actually, I think it's Jenna Neves actually. Jenna yeah. Neves. Yes. Jenna Neves. Shout out to Jenna Neves. Yes. Edit out all the other. Yes. <laughs> so shout out to Jenna Neves. I did a boss babe brunch. She asked me to be key, the keynote speaker. And I was like, Jana, what do you want me to talk about? She was like, just tell us about your journey, right? Like, just, you know, and when people <laughs> that say like that, <laughs> yes. And you know, when people say that, I'm always like, well, boy, there's so much to talk about. But, you know, I said, what is it that I want to really share with these women? What do I really want to say? And I wanted to talk about the fact that I was able to heal myself after four years and to heal myself and triumph in a very authentic way and that you don't have to move with the crowd and move with the pace that people think your life should be moving at take time with yourself be kind to yourself be kind to others and um this was the year that i finally started talking about it so it's very very recent all right shelly we like to get practical here on this podcast yes. here, right so with all these tips given, with all this journey that we talk about and everything, we want to know, okay, so we discovered our purpose. We think we have an idea what our purpose is. How do we go from idea to action? How do we follow through in living this purpose like you have done in this past year? Be so intentional. Be very intentional. And when I say be intentional, I don't mean writing a to-do list every day and checking boxes and being a box checker. Not saying that. I mean, have a long-term vision and start thinking about what are the actionable steps I can take to get me there. A lot of times we have this notion of setting short-term goals because we feel that, you know, and again, short-term goals equals short-term gratification. That's the way that I see it. Because as soon as it's ticked off, you're thinking, okay, well, what next? What if these short-term goals are part of a bigger long-term goal? Yes, absolutely. And great. And actually that is what it should be. The short-term and long-term should be something that is mapped out together at the same time, right? So it's about getting 
the person to not just look at, okay, well, what do I want to achieve in the next year? But no, what do I want my legacy to be? And I say legacy because I ask my clients this a lot of times and a lot of them can't answer. I ask them, what do you want your legacy to be? It's a heavyweight question. It's very heavy, but it's purposeful because I'm pushing them to think not short term, but to think years and years and years ahead. And then once you understand that, we can then set some short term goals, right? But it's about being long sighted, long term. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing of going from idea to action is getting a mentor. And I'm big on that. Alpha Studios is exactly why it was launched was because we in Trinidad lack mentorship, you know, mentorship programs, uh, shadow ments, apprenticeships, hands-on experience, you know, where experts actually take the time pro bono to help people. And that's why I was so happy to be a part of your podcast, because I think that it, that is part of mentorship in a sense, right? That's Definitely. exchange of knowledge. So the second bit of it is hire a mentor because a mentor is at the top of the mountain where you would like to be at sucking his mango, watching you at the bottom, <laughs> struggling through the forest to try to get up. And he's just looking at you like, hmm, okay. Charlie, but how do we go about getting a mentor though? Because it's not like he could right. go to somebody and say, hey, you want to be my mentor? Exactly. I'm like, well, I don't know you guy. Right. So how do you go about getting a mentor, enrolling right. a mentor? The easiest way is to book an appointment with Alpha Stute. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is actually the e easiest way. But for somebody that, you see, because mentorship does not have to be a face-to-face, one-to-one personal relationship, right? Mentorship can also be benchmarking yourself against someone else role modeling, right? Mimicking, researching person's career trajectories and letting that influence your career path. Those are the things that I try to get my clients to think about because it's not about finding somebody shaking a hand and saying, well, you know, can you be my mentor? No, it's about doing the groundwork so much so that you are then able to put yourself in the right place at the right time to have the conversation with the person without even having to do too much work to get their attention. You know, something about these mentorship relationships is that it really should not be one-sided, right? You Absolutely should be able to, to lend value to yes. this person who's lending value to you. So yes. usually the best mentorships are those where both people benefit, both people learn. Yes. So it's like a, so let's say you mentor me on whatever mm -hmm. and I mentor you on something that I might know, who knows? Yes, that? yes. And actually when we take on mentees, we take on mentees that add to the value that Alpha Suit gives because we believe in the exchange of knowledge. We believe that our biggest artist is human capital and our mentees are persons that we see have high growth, but the potential for high growth, the potential for high growth. And it's then fostering that and then hopefully engaging them to become a mentor with us. So we build, we just continuously build a community. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So we found our purpose. Yeah. Let's say we're on the way to our purpose. Right. We're trying to, trying to prepare ourselves. Yes. Right. To, to live this purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. So that might involve some education, some training, some courses or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's just say on the way to living this purpose, we thought, we, we think we have discovered, mm -hmm. you know, we fail exam here. 
Right. This expert in the field says, nope, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. So everywhere you look or you're applying for jobs within on that track and people say, nope, no, you're not qualified. So doors are closing on you everywhere you turn. Right. What does that say to you? Because you had a blog where you say, hey, this might be the world saying it's not for you or it might be saying it's for you. Yes. So... I mean, that sounds like the, that sounds like both. Yes, exactly. <laughs> both ultimatums. And it, yeah, and you know, the choice really comes down to the person, right? So, and that's it's the same thing with mentorship, and it's the same it's the same thing with having a career coach. We can guide you, but the ultimate choice is yours. So, when doors close, and I give I use myself as the example, when I did what I did in Scotland graduated with a distinction, had a stellar thesis. It's now published. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's all about Trinidad and Tobago and the technology transfer in the construction industry. I wanted to stay in the UK to teach. I sent out 50 plus applications, 50 plus applications with the amazing academic merit. And I only got eight callbacks. 8,050 isn't bad. Eh? 8,050 is not bad, but no offers. And, you know, there's this saying that the master has failed much more times than the beginner, right? In order to master your skill and to master your ability and, your, and the competence that you possess, you must be ready to fail. Because again, it helps you become a master at the skill that you're at. So... When I look at the great entrepreneurs, Bezo, who is the owner of Amazon, Mark Zuckerberg, Eric Rice, who, who dealt with the lean startup. When you look at YouTube, all of these are uh, things that started off in one way, wasn't successful at it. They failed and it spun the idea in a different way. Okay, well, I failed at that. So then what can I try now? And they don't change the strategy. They just, ch- they don't change the vision. Sorry, they change the strategy. So for me, when I realized that I wasn't succeeding, it was not that I wasn't good enough. It was that I was doing something wrong. Either I was applying to the wrong type of jobs. Either I was trying to be something that I was not. Either that I probably didn't do enough networking. Something I wasn't doing right. But I knew for sure that this is my calling. I realized that, Shali, you love research. Why are you trying to be a management consultant in PwC and McKinsey and <laughs> Goldman Sachs? Girl, what is wrong with you? Who, who tell you that that's for you? And it actually was not because it was entirely data driven. And I was like, when I looked at all of my success, it came from research. I just published my master's thesis, which is testimony of like, yes, you are good at research. And I was like, you know what? Forget all this consulting, big four stupidness. I go in for a doctorate. Because I think that I really love research. And Kevin, I sent out my applications and I had five offers, two of which were from Russell Group Universities in London with scholarships attached to it, full scholarships. And I said, okay, great. The doors flung open for me. And it's not that I was doing it. And again, it's not that I wasn't meant for it. It was that I was doing it in the wrong way. And Alpha Student now is actually consulting and it's consulting at an excellent standard as well, which is what these big fours say they do. But now I'm doing it for myself. Okay, so let's go through quickly on what Alpha Student offers, what, yes. is it does, what, is, what it does, how do people engage you and so on. Right. So Alpha Student started 
in August of 2018. So I came home, right? I came home before August, February. Came home in February. And every time I come home, I love to give back to home. I want to do something for home. I want to either exchange my knowledge with persons or, you know, go into school and talk. I just want to do something for home. So I had a lot of people on social media asking me, well, Shelly, how were you able to get, you know, you just left law. You was just in Scotland. You're now doing your doctorate and you're on scholarship. How, how, how did all of this happen? And at the university on Fridays, I would do career advice. And they took me for career advice because of the fact that I was successfully able to transition from law to business. So I had people messaging me, how did you do it all and stuff? And then I said, you know what? I was just going to come home and I'm going to offer it as 150 TT for an hour with me. And I'm going to go through your CV and cover letter intensively, right? So I'm going to do that. That's pretty cheap. Very cheap. For the credentials that I had at that time as well. So I said, going to do that. So... Kevin, I made a little flyer, Shelly and Gadgeta, career advice. I put what I was going to offer and I said 150 TT. So right? when you say flyer, as in it puts on a notice board in UE? Or no, <laughs> I actually put it on social media and then I had some of my followers who were in UE. I asked them to disseminate it in their circles as well, UE circles and stuff, right? But it was, that was tough for me because people don't know me as a career advisor or as an entrepreneur of that, to that extent, right? They know me as Shelly and Gatcher, the state prosecutor. So when I put it out, I just said, Lord, what are people going to think? But I just felt like this was the right thing to do. And when I came home, I came home for two weeks. I had 42 clients. Wow. Yeah, 42. So sometimes in a day, I'm seeing five people because I, I, I was very tight on time. And during that space of just giving of myself, I realized how desperate people were when it came to their career and wanting to know their purpose and wanting to excel at what they loved. And I left Trinidad feeling so full. I can imagine. So, so full. Because I mean, sometimes these are situations and around that time, people were being laid off of particular industries. And some of my sessions, people break down in tears because that's the level of empathy that they feel when I sit with them, but also the frustration that they're experiencing. And I said, you know what? This could be a business. For sure. So I started to pray on it because I said, Shelly, is this your big, ambitious ego or is this God? God, what do you want from me? Because at this stage, I've been asking you to help me with my purpose. This really felt good, but I don't know. Is this the direction I'm supposed to go in? Please tell me, because I'm not sure. And it reached a stage, you ever get afraid of yourself? No. No, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I'm very rough on myself. Yeah. There are very few things I'm afraid of, namely flying creatures and sliding creatures. <laughs> but humans, then no, I'm not, I, I'm not afraid of any human. Right. So when I say I, I became afraid of myself, I realized the influence that I was having on people. I realized how impactful my page was becoming and how people were seeing almost like a light for them, almost like a light of hope for them, you know, the possibility. And I felt this just weighing on me to the point, and I would say, I, I would say this, if you don't walk in your purpose, it will cripple you. 
Definitely. It will cripple you. 1000%. Yes. yes. And what I mean by that is as I prayed and I prayed and I prayed about it more and more, I started to feel like if I didn't do it, I would suffer because I was, do I was going to be doing things that were not aligned with that calling and with that purpose. And I said, well, okay, God, have your way. Let us do it then. So I went ahead, put the money on the table and decided to launch Alpha Suit. I got a website up and I started to do a bit of PR about it. And I came back home in August. So we were, the last time I was here was in February, came back in August, 2018 to officially launch it. And I did a bunch of PR around it. I went on the news out, news shows and stuff because I wanted people to know that this was a company dedicated to Caribbean people. You know, it was dedicated to the dreamers and the hopers and the disruptors and the innovators and the creatives. It was dedicated to the trailblazers, the people that no longer wanted to be confined by what their mother told them they should be or what their friends do in. They wanted to chart their own way. And that's why I call it Alpha Suit. So Alpha is to lead. And astute is to have commercial acumen, to be witty, to be sharp-witted. And that's what we do at Alpha Suit. We create the leaders of tomorrow. You know, that they are informed and equipped with the knowledge and research to lead in whatever they decide to do. What I respect about you, Shelley, is that whenever something happens, you internalize you make a decision and you take action almost quickly and effectively. And you don't take action in a, in a kind of menial way. You say, you know what? No, I'm going to the media. I'm going to do some PR. <laughs> yes. I'm going to go to London. I'm going to go to Scotland. Mm -hmm. No, I am, I am moving. I am going. Yes. You know, so you, you really live mm -hmm. what you believe your purpose is at that point in time. Or so. Yeah. And you know what? I want to say to the listeners that once you identify the passion or the purpose, as you were saying, right? And you're on that journey. Do not be half-assed or cheap with your passion. You have to go all in. You have to. Because, as I said, it will reach a point where it will cripple you. Okay, so we want to be careful when we say all in. We just, yes. You're not saying, <laughs> leave your job, no, no, show no. your middle finger yes, and no. jump out. No, no. So when you say all in, how do you, how do you mean? When I say all in, I mean that you should start to align yourself with the things that are needed to fulfill the purpose. So you're building an so, ecosystem exactly. around yourself. Yes. Surrounded by your purpose. Yes. Surround yourself with the right people. Yes. You're reading the right books. You listen to the right yes. podcast, Caribbean Power Lunch, and you <laughs> go ahead and you execute. Yes. And when you do that, the inhabitants that can't live in the ecosystem disintegrate. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's yeah. a rough word, disintegrate. Disintegrate. They don't just go away, they disintegrate. No, they actually disintegrate. Why? Because it becomes difficult for those situations, persons, activities to relate to you anymore. Wow. Okay. Yes. So re real quick, I want to touch <laughs> on research. So you, you yes. can say that you're, that you're excellent in research. And I read that you believe that locally that we're not very efficient at research. So yes. I, I want to know what you mean by that. And I want to know how do we get more efficient at research? Because research is a necessary skill for anything. I don't care exactly. what you're doing. You need to be efficient at research. Yes. So I think that one of the things we lack is 
benchmarking principles. And I, I always say to my clients, particularly the ones that come in and want to be an entrepreneur, yes, you may have a good idea. The world is filled with great ideas. The ideas that take off are the ones that are very well researched. So being well researched is understanding who's your target market. What do they consist of? What are the demographics of that market? What is their disposable income? Who are your competitors? What is the price point of your competitors? You know, the basis of a successful startup is being able to have not a good idea, just a good idea, but something that is in demand. And when I say, you know, efficient research and how, and, and you know, you ask the question about how do we get there? Google is a great start. It's as basic as that. We could start as basic as Google, right? Google searching what it is you need to know in terms of competitive, the competitive landscape. But another way is going out into the, into the market, going on the ground. Surveys, questionnaires are so powerful, right? Surveys and questionnaires? Yes, Okay. It is very powerful. Now it comes down to you understanding, you know, what is going to be your questionnaire guide? What are the questions you're asking and who are you asking it to? Right. But the reason why I think that that is so powerful is because you're getting information in real time. You have the ability to prompt people if you want more, if you want more information. And I feel that we're not going out there enough to get the answers. Right. We're not putting a prototype in front of somebody and okay, say, so what do you think of that? Yeah. Prototyping as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you have the survey, the survey could accompany the prototype. Um, and, you know, what did you enjoy about this? But we need to get more hands on when it can. And again, that's why I said, you know, the, the going all in with the passion. You can't go half halfway and think that a little bit of research online is going to help you. No, you need to start to go out there with it and be brave enough to knock on the doors of the leaders who might use your app or might use your service and ask them, what do you think about this? Okay. So when we're talking about innovation, right? Yes. And we start an innovative business. So for instance, we had Steve Jobs with the iPad and the iPod and stuff. Now, I'm not sure that he would have gone out and done surveys and questionnaires. No. Mm -hmm. You know, he would have, he, he would have told himself, Hey, people need this. Yes. And they don't know that they need it yet. Exactly. Right. So with surveys and questionnaires, so if people come and ask you, hey, what do you think about this idea? Mm -hmm. Would you spend money on this? And they say, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Then the product is on the shelf and they walk straight past it. It's like, right. oh, that's a nice product. Okay, cool. You know. Yes. And, and they walk exactly. straight past it. So how reliable really mm -hmm. are surveys and questionnaires versus where you actually put the product in front of them and say, hey, right. use this. Yes. Would you pay for this? Pay for this. Exactly. Now, that, that's a great question because it comes down to resources right a lot of times we say okay let's do a prototype do you know how much goes into a prototype in yeah, the first place right yeah, yeah. before you even even for something as basic as a hairdresser hairdresser service if you want to have a salon get the equipment it's expensive so for me i think before we think about the big things let's just try to get the basics down right okay. so have and the survey when when I tell my clients think about a survey or a questionnaire, it's not about asking them necessarily about the product. You know, it's understanding this target market. So it's not about the idea yet because you're not putting the idea before them just yet. You're asking them questions like, "Do you find it difficult to find a hairdresser in your area?" 
things that concern them, you know? And then when you see what their pains are, you find a solution for the pain. Ah, okay. And then you find a prototype. You see, because there are stages of the innovation phase, right? And it's the idea generation phase that I think we are good at, but we could be so much better at because it's idea generation and then it's development and then it's proto development and prototyping. I tend to find that we do development and prototyping and when nobody wants to accept it, you're forcing it down people's throats. But why you're forcing it down people's throats is because you didn't understand the consumer behavior in the first place. Okay. You know, and it's, it's profiling consumers. So take it back a notch. <laughs> Hold off on spending any money. Mm -hmm. Wait and let's really understand this consumer. Where can I find your, the person that's going to buy your product? If, am I going to find them in Rituals Coffee Shop? Okay, well, let's go there and let's ask them a couple of questions. That works. That works. Let's talk about education yes. versus academics, right? Not everybody's yeah. academically inclined, inclined as you are. Yeah. But does that mean that they're just doomed to fail in life? No. No. Everybody needs to have a, a plan B. And let's say we're, we're both in our early 30s, right? Yes. So I'm sure growing up... For me growing up, right? <laughs> so I'm going here, I'm going here. For me growing up, one of the most important things to my parents mm -hmm. was that report card that you bring home. Oh, yes. All right? If that report card has anything, anything less than an A, mm -hmm. or B plus, or maybe, no? Crucified. Licks. No, <laughs> Immediately. Not licks. Not licks as I'm getting beat. So gosh, yeah. no, I'm not going to do that to mommy and daddy. But there'll be a disappointment. Oh, yes. You know? Absolutely. But nowadays, mm -hmm. it's okay if a child is okay is um selling slime on YouTube. Yeah, it's okay if a child is doing a video game documentary. Yeah, it's okay if a child has a, I don't know, has a blog or a podcast with millions of followers or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So academics is not necessarily be all end all, right now. No, absolutely no. Yeah. All right. So how do you advocate for that? Because I see that yeah. you 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 had some comments when when our Students who wrote the common the secondary school entrance mm -hmm. exam, they didn't do as well as previous years. Yes, yes. So I believe in living by example, particularly if you decide to be the face of the endeavor and the effort, right? So I am the face of Alpha Suit and Alpha Suit advocates excellence, but we don't prepackage our clients either, right? Because you have been prepackaged from since primary school. You even think, you think we've been prepackaged? Absolutely. That's interesting. And the reason why we've been prepackaged is because Caribbean culture, our family, our families tell us what we should be studying and who we should be. And to this day, the other day, I went into school and I had a talk with Form 3s who are about to choose their subjects. And the biggest pressure they talked about is their family. That they want, they want to do something else. They want to do the arts and they want to do the humanities and their family saying no to the sciences. Even up to then where you think, where you finally give them a choice to choose, they still feel helpless because they feel like they can't, right? And I mean, I, we are in our thirties and we have experienced that and it continues, right? So one of the things that I've realized is that the more that we push students into academic merit and they continuously fail is the more that we do ourselves, our educational system, and by extension, the economy, basically a harm. Yeah, yeah, an injustice, right? We do that. And why? Because we, again, continuously prepackage them. 
what we have to understand is that the world of labor and recruitment is changing. The top skill that employers are looking for now in the world is entrepreneurial skills. That is true. Entrepreneurial skills. So creative think, um, creativity, critical thinking, analysis, right? Resourcefulness. Resourcefulness, right? You can get it done no matter no what. No matter what. And you know what those things are? Soft skills. Yeah. You get those soft skills through apprenticeship, internships, shadowing, right? You don't get it through doing a particular subject. You might get it to an extent, but it comes from experiential learning, right? Not necessarily academic. So what we try to do at Alpha Suit is kind of disrupt that straight trajectory of, well, I am an engineer and that is all I am meant to be. And that is all I can apply for. No, it's about what do you do well? What are the skill sets that you are really, that you really enjoy? And how can we get you to span industries and sectors with these skills? So we don't look at the merit. The merit is great. We all know that with, you know, high paid jobs, all of the applicants have the merit. You know what gets them the job? Soft skills. That's right. That's right. Shirley, what's next for Alpha Steve? What's next for you? <laughs> right. So my hope is to finish my doctorate very soon. My doctorate is on innovation management. Um, and I'm looking at higher education and its responsibility of creating um, an entrepreneurial economy. So once that is finished, I hope to give my full attention to Alpha Suit. In terms of where I see Alpha Suit in the next five, 10 years, and the, basically the legacy of Alpha Suit is that Alpha Generations. Suit- Generations. Yes, Alpha Suit is going to be a company that changes the way that we do business and the way that we prepare our leaders of tomorrow. It's going to be a company that changes. It's a disruptor. It's going to change the game for employment. It's going to change the game for employers. And it's going to really empower entrepreneurs. And I hope that in years to come, it will be a company that is sought out by international players, by government officials, and that we are able to really go into schools and create high impact and high influence so that if you're not getting the mentorship that you would like to get at home or the support that you'd like to get in school, just come to us and we will take it for there. We are actually going to fill the gap of what the institutions have been lacking. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Where can we find you? So you can find us on www.alphasuit.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Our hashtag is at alphasuit. And if you want to book an appointment with us, you can email us, contact at alphasuit.com. Well, I'm going to take my appointment just now. Yes, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have a, you have more than one podcast. Well, uh, they have more than one podcast. Exactly, you, know, you see? You. Well, you'll have about five. <laughs> more than five. Wow, okay, okay, okay. Yes. All right, Shelly. This point in time, as we're looking to wrap up, I want to give you open platform to say anything you want to say that you feel hasn't been covered yet, go. (laughs) (laughs) So Kevin, I would basically like to just say to you and your listeners that continue to dream the big dream. Continue to believe that you are destined for greatness. 
Be very intentional about what you engage in and about what you give your time to. And finally, don't be afraid to walk alone and to go against the norm. There are so many other people like yourself waiting around the corner like me. That is awesome. That is awesome. Podcast World, there you have it. Finding your purpose with Shelly Ann Gajadar. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at CaribbeanPowerLunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on CastBox, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Shelly, thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Podcast World, Cabin Studios, we are out. Out.